Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Jesper and Klaus from the animated film Klaus. And joining us for this for the discussion is returning guest John Dorowski. Welcome, brother. Hello. As well as producer Andrew. Welcome, brother, as well. Hello. Uh, and if you are not familiar, Klaus tells an origin story for Santa, Santa Claus revealed through the experiences of a mailman named Jesper Johansson. The story is by Sergio Pablos, who also wrote the screenplay with Jim uh, Mahoney and Zach Lewis. And Ser- Sergio Pablos uh, uh, directed the film as well. Uh, Jason Schwartzman voiced Jesper. J.K. Simmons voiced Klaus. And Rashida Jones voiced Alva. And it was released on Netflix in November of 2019. So, uh for me at least this is now like needs to be in the rotation of christmas movies every year um but i know i didn't watch it that first year it came out on <laughs> netflix i only watched it last year i was like oh we have to talk about this on the on the podcast this movie is so good uh john do you remember when you first uh watched klaus uh it would have been that first year um i'm always a little cautious on netflix movies so i probably waited until i started hearing some stuff from other people and maybe the recommendation from andrew to watch it Andrew, do you remember when you watched it? Um, sometime in the Christmas season when it when it came out, <laughs> that, heard, that first year that it yeah did come heard, out. That, heard that it was good. Maybe you had said it was good. Yeah, we don't um, know who recommended it to who. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I think the first time we watched it, we were like doing Christmas present wrapping and and getting things together, and I I, I wasn't fully watching it the first time, and then I decided like this seems to be scratching an itch and i i want to like really watch it so we we may have watched it twice that season and then definitely like set aside like this is maybe like my specific christmas eve like this is i think this might be my number one christmas movie to like watch every year like this is maybe like high praise the most important one to me right now well it was one of the first ones like after having two kids and like children old enough to be into Christmas. And so it's it is a different experience for me with like kids who Christmas was starting to be meaningful to. Yeah. Instead I, of nieces I, I and nephews and, and cousins, it was it was like my kids. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a little bit different, but also it just really gets me. I, mm-hmm. I cry every time <laughs> with this yeah, one. I mean, in, in multiple different parts for different reasons. I will say like I am not in any way like a Hemingway-esque stoic performative masculinity kind of guy where like you can't show any emotion, but also like I'm not weepy, you know, it takes a little bit to get me going. I was pleasantly surprised how much this film hit me and like made me more than more emotional than I expected. Uh, And as you just said, Andrew, at different points and for different reasons, like different things were actually making Mm -hmm. me like get a little misty eyed as, as I was watching the film. Like it was, it's, legitimately moving but for like like it's striking different chords so successfully that like all the feels <laughs> are, are coming uh but but it's different kinds of feels at different points in the film and so i i think it, it really is a masterpiece uh for that here is some trivia about klaus it was nominated for best animated film at the academy awards but lost to toy story 4 i know it's a travesty robbed for by toy story 4 i i fully agree with that like kestra and i do not really like toy story 4 and for sure it's like Klaus is the best animated oh, movie that came out that year. I can recognize the technical achievement of Toy Story 4. It is there's immaculate some, looking. stuff in there. But 
cost is a much better story. Mm-hmm. It did win the best animated film at the Annie Awards. So specifically, the animation industry recognized Klaus as the best film that's, for that year. And that's good because especially because the Annie Awards, um, it's a buy in option into the voting block. And so some animation studios will just pay for their animators and and you know everyone on their team to be part of the voting block are you serious i had no idea like i know yeah, every yeah, award show the annies are, the annies has, are has slightly questionable yeah I, um, I knew every award show was a mess like the golden but, globes are are basically getting fired right now because everyone's realized wait a second what but, is this thing but with that you would think <laughs> that disney would just sweep everything all the time and they don't mm. and so there is enough and especially for something like classes like this is a small studio this is not a big a big production it's not dreamworks it's not disney and so it's a brand it, new it must studio. Be actually getting to appreciated. In the trivia, well, in the, in the, in the trivia to say this is a brand new studio. Mm-hmm. We should also say that uh, was it the 2019 Oscars. Uh, would have been yes. So that was a controversial year where it seemed like there was some polit- politicking going on behind the scenes of a- saying about we Netflix. can't give it to streaming services. Mm, right, specifically about that. Well, not no, specifically about uh, Roma uh, and, and, Gr- yeah, and Green about, Book. Yeah, th- things that. Yeah, uh, but first, I, first I wouldn't be premiere. surprised if that extended to animation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was Sergio Pablos's directorial debut. He had previously worked for Disney Animation during the Disney Renaissance, and he had also developed the concepts that became the animated films Despicable Me and Smallfoot. So he, you know, he was well established within the American animation industry, but he went and founded his own animation studio in Spain. Klaus is the first film that they have released. And from what I could find, it's the only film so far. I couldn't even find for sure what the next film they're working on. I'm sure they're working on something. Yeah. Um, it takes a long time, especially for a small studio. And this is a something. traditionally animated film, not a CG um, film. So uh, like, I, I think there's a lot of wonderful, beautiful things that come out of uh, the CG right, I animation. Think, but I think this is CG. It's uh, it. There's it's some, it's a, an, an unusual blend. I've heard it described as 2D, but it has the the I, impact of CG. So I, I don't know a, to what degree it, it is fitting into what category. I thought it was I'm pretty a sure C- I saw it listed as traditionally animated, but I thought it was a wrong. CG trying to imitate 2D animation. That's what I always got. And yeah. it may be that it's the, the opposite. Okay, because there are definitely moments that, that were had to, you know. there. Yeah, it could be enhanced, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a, a flat animation like the, that's uh, been enhanced. Like Cartoon Saloon does. Mm-hmm. It, well, okay, on Wikipedia, it listed as traditionally animated film. Well, we can always trust Wikipedia. Yeah, so I, yeah, well, that's why I'm saying on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, down in the production side, it says he had worked on Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules and Tarzan and wanted to do another traditionally animated feature film. Some some of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's see. He uh, here. I'm going to read from Wikipedia. Pablo wanted to explore how the medium would have evolved had Western animation film studios not switched to m- producing mostly computer animated films since the 1990s. For the film's look, the studio sought to overcome some of the technical limitations that traditional animation had, focusing on organic and volumetric lighting and texturing to give the film a unique look while maintaining a handcrafted feel. And it has proprietary tools from a French company uh, that uh, created the unique visual style of the film. Okay, so definitely, we still don't know. We still don't know yeah. exactly what it is, but but definitely different from what we'd consider the the current mm-hmm. style of animation. Yeah, so they wanted to get away from the look of classic animation of characters looking like stickers on a painted background, uh, but not be you know, the, what is now the computer animation style. So hmm. I, I, I guess I, I'm still not clear that this should be labeled traditionally animated, which it is several times in this Wikipedia article. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, 
okay, how like how are we classifying traditional animation? Like, because there's certainly a lot of um, developments that happen in it. You know, the what sixty years of animation that happened mm-hmm. before you really got computer enhancements, and then before it fully transitioned into Pixar level yeah. stuff. Um, the last bit of trivia I had was that it has a 94% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which to me sell, tells me that there are some reviewers that have no souls. Bunch of creatures uh, out there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give a full summary of the film. But before I do that, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we also want to thank you for listening. And we also definitely want to thank you uh, if you support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to the spoiler summary. Jesper Johansson is the lazy son of a postmaster general. His father has tried to force him to learn responsibility, but Jesper is really only interested in being waited on hand and foot. As a last-ditch effort, Jesper's father assigns him to be the sole postal employee of a tiny Tim Burton-esque city named Smearinsburg. His father uh, gives Jesper an ultimatum. He must post and deliver 6,000 letters in one year, or he will be cut off from the family's wealth. Jesper is not excited about this and he actually becomes downright terrified when he discovers that the broken down city is home almost exclusively to two warring clans the ellingbows and the crumbs as he tries to find people who will write letters he meets the school teacher turned fishmonger named alva uh he even explores the outskirts of the city where he finds the home of a large intimidating bearded woodsman named klaus in his panic to run away from klaus jesper loses a drawing one of the village children had given him it's a picture of a sad lonely house and klaus sees the picture and makes jesper take him to that house then he makes jesper go and leave a toy for the child that drew the picture soon word of mouth spreads among the children and jesper very much foments these rumors (laughs) making the children want to send letters to klaus uh jesper is willing to push any story that gets anyone writing letters so he helps spread rumors that if you send klaus a letter he will leave you a toy klaus had a workshop full of toys and he somewhat moodily goes along with jesper's plans when jesper shows him the letters from children uh at night Jesper and Klaus deliver toys uh, and various aspects of the Santa mythology grow out of seeds of real events or, you know, we, we see things happen and then it gets exaggerated into what we know as the Santa mythology now. Uh, to get more kids writing letters, Jesper sends uh, the illiterate children of the town to Alva so that they can learn to read and write. At first, she is frustrated by this because she is just saving money that she earns as a fishmonger to be able to afford her way out of this town. Uh, but she soon rediscovers her love of teaching children. We learn that Klaus had married and built his house and workshop for him and his wife. They wanted children uh, and he had started making toys for them, but the children never came and his wife got sick and died and Klaus became a recluse. Uh, the children in town are all getting along and playing together. And the elders of the clans, the Ellingbows and the Crumbs, can't have that. So they unite against Jesper and Klaus. The irony is noted frequently that they are uniting so that they can go to war. Uh, They send word to Jesper's father that Jesper is a huge success as the postmaster and has posted thousands and thousands of letters. On Christmas Eve, after Jesper, Klaus, and Alva have been working to prepare their biggest toy delivery ever, uh, and the Ellingbows and Crumbs have been scheming to stop them, Jesper's father arrives and announces how proud he is of Jesper's success. Alva and Klaus realize that Jesper has had ulterior motives uh, besides helping children. Jesper is embarrassed uh, and ashamed. One of the themes throughout the thing is, is a selfless act. Like you're not motivated by ulterior motives. So this is a real betrayal that he had um, secret reasons for trying to be good. 
because Klaus very much believes in the idea of uh, just selflessly being good for the sake of being good is what inspires others. Uh, now Jesper's father invites him back to their home uh, and they actually leave. But then uh, it, we find out that Jesper, as they're leaving, tells his father what has happened to him in the city. And his father says he's proud of Jesper and the friends that he's made. And Jesper chooses to stay behind. He gets back just in time to see the clans attack Klaus's sleigh full of the toys. And this crazy chase ensues. In the end, Jesper fails to actually save the toys. But then Klaus and Alva reveal that they knew the clan's plans and had filled the sleigh with decoy toys. Jesper and Klaus now deliver real toys. The town becomes a happy place. Jesper and Alva marry and have kids, and Klaus continues his Christmas deliveries for many years. Uh, but after 12 years, he just disappears. But somehow, Jesper says every year he gets to see his friend one more time on Christmas Eve. The end. All right. I love this movie. <laughs> It's really good. And uh, some of my favorite moments, like it, it doesn't translate to the summary. So like there's like one gift giving moment where he takes a girl, uh, the sledge right oh, on the ice. Margu. And it's just I love Margu. Stunning animation. And that's one moment that gets me weepy. When I mentioned that Alva like rediscovers her love of teaching. Is it, is it the, kid, the kid discovering like writing her name for the first time? Because that's one that always gets me too. Yeah, so, so it's a moment where, like, she really is, at this point, like, her motivation is, I just need to make money as a fishmonger to get out of town. These kids are annoying me. So she's like, fine, here, I'm going to teach you something for the day. I'm writing your name on the board. And, like, the kid just says in wonder, like, that's my name. And the other kid's like, I, wa I want to learn. And the teacher. I want to write my name. Yeah, I want to write my name. And the teacher, like, this is her turning point. Uh, and it's. Like it's very different than like the joy of a child getting a present that's moving, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it's this love of learning and like this idea of, of sharing knowledge that is very moving in this moment. And then like the, the very end with the friendship of like Jesper just saying he gets to see his friend. Um, again, that's another one that just gets me every time. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so good. But I, the, can I tell you another one? Cause this is, yeah. um, I mean, I said it, it's maybe my number one Christmas movie. It might be Kester's number one Christmas movie too. Um, she and I watched it together again for this one and we'd forgotten about this bit but i i know it gets her every time is um at one point jesper says because because there's been bully kids that are hassling him and so he tells him like no you have to be good or you don't get presents and so all the kids start doing nice things and, and shoveling the walks and you know picking berries and everything and one of the kids and they do some really good montage work in this mm -hmm. movie like Definitely. like top-notch montages um, but one of the kids says, I clean my dad's uh, clarinet and it seemed to make him really happy. And just like watching a kid like wipe a smear of grime off a shiny brass instrument because Kestra's a musician. And so she sees that one and she just can't handle it at all <laughs> because it's like it's the musical instrument. And then the dad's really happy because his instrument is clean and and it completely changes his you know demeanor and in interactions with other people. Yeah. And so the musical instrument one. uh Hits, hits hard in our household. John, are there any moments that we haven't mentioned that hit for you? Uh, those are the main ones that uh, hit for me. I want to get a couple of nitpicks out of the way so we sure. can focus on all the positive. <laughs> um, I think some of the music cues are going to date this film in a few years. Uh, you talked about the scene with Morgu uh, uh, on that little boat on the mm -hmm. frozen lake. And that has a music it's got, a song. It's got a pop song. Yeah, it has a pop song. And it's like, it's a very mid 2000s type pop song. And it's like, in a couple of years, that's going to feel a little out of place. It might. I, a, I like it currently. So I hope I, I still like it. Um, I, I'm not saying it's bad. It's uh, not a memorable one. It's not like, here's your new Christmas anthem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be for all time. Um, 
and then uh, watching it in the second time when uh, you mentioned that scene with the bully where uh, Jasper tells him you have to be good to mm-hmm. uh, get the presents and it was they did a music drop there that was a little bit of I don't, a little hip-hop. I don't I don't know if it's hip hop or R and B but yeah. that's in that style and it's like oh that you know in ten years that might not work as well as the, it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really only my nick, my only oh. nick picks. <laughs> well, my first question that I wanted to ask though is um is Jesper's father corrupt if we're talking about nitpicks? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, just his family seems to be living in the lap of luxury as the <laughs> highest of the aristocracy as the postmaster. So, I'm just saying well, but they he... establish it seems like the, the entire opening... postal system is pretty Yeah, they establish in the opening scenes the postal system runs this country. Yeah. Yeah, I just think he might be skimming off the books. <laughs> Um, but we do come to like the father when he's, you know, says he's proud of his son for like having discovered ethics and morality mm-hmm. <laughs> and friendship. Uh, so, so that's, that's good. I, I just hope some of that rubs off on his father. Cause I'm pretty sure he is, he is corrupt. <laughs> I don't get that from him at all. Well, Jonathan, the entire postal system's corrupt. Well, that's <laughs> what, what I'm saying. I'm not, about it? I don't think there's any textual evidence for this. I'm just talking <laughs> about the lifestyle that Jesper was leading. Doesn't feel like the son of a high ranking government bureaucrat. Again, no textual evidence for this. And we don't have we don't have to dig into it. <laughs> it's just it, it struck me this time. One thing that I felt a little more this time, and it's not a complaint at all. I just felt like the opening, particularly with Jason Schwartzman's performance as Jesper, was very David Spade in Emperor's New Group. In Emperor's yes. New Group, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, there's something groups. to that. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, like his the humor in like the transition of him like getting his comeuppance, you know, cause you immediately want him to get some comeuppance um, early on. I think that's like what drew me in. I was like, Oh, okay. I think I'm going to like this. And then, and that has nothing to do with the heart of the movie. And so they managed to like pull me in with some humor and then also deliver on the, the meaning of the film later on. And they don't undercut it with the humor ever, which is always nice. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time watching it, it was a little hard to get into on those initial scenes at the, Mm-hmm. postmaster academy um because it's, it is a different art style and the watching it again is, i realized like the color palette they have there is different than everywhere else and so it's mm-hmm. a, the uh design of the characters is very angular yeah uh and that's a little jarring in those colors but it's that style is so important once you get to smearsburg mm-hmm. like that is so essential like that angular style is so essential for setting up that city that you had to have it at the beginning and so, so once you yeah. get to the main location, it works completely. Yeah, you get the steep angles of the of the rooftops and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's a very tall roofs and and steep angles and everything. And, and, and it doesn't work in a square environment. Yeah. It works in triangles. Yeah. And I described it as like Tim Burton-esque, like the the town uh, definitely feels like this could be a place where uh, Jack Skellington hangs out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or there's there's Adam's family elements. And mm-hmm. also, once you get to the, the town, the color palette works better with those angles where it's first a darker color mm-hmm. palette. And as the story progresses and the characters change, it more moves towards a warmer color palette. But it's not quite the same get as bright. The, yeah, it's not the brightness that you had in the, uh, those initial scenes. And that warmness still works with that angular features. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a very distinctive look uh, throughout. And I, I one thing that I think is interesting is how much that change of the color palette 
like, like the the character designs are still you know consistent throughout, but like the character design of Klaus can go from that kind of intimidating first version when it's the very cool cold colors and 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 a lot of dark ones to becoming a very warm and lovable figure, and it's still the same character design. Uh, but but the color palette is so key to what we're feeling about these uh, very distinctive shapes of people that we're seeing. And it's, and I think it's relatively subtle in those transitions because we're not dealing with a significant chi- change in time and we're not changing the environment very much. It's still winter the whole well, time, uh, but, but they, you get they, warm and for, cools. He is there for about a year, but it is always winter up there. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I did appreciate in watching it this time is um, that the... I said we're going to mostly talk about Klaus and uh, Jesper, but even Alva, like they have real character journeys that all work. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, I think Alva is maybe like the least served just in terms of the amount of screen time, but they still give her like a full arc. She's not just there as a love interest for Jesper, right? <laughs> you know, or, or to convince him to be good. Like she has a starting point with her own motivations and goals that gets transformed through her interactions with Jesper and the, and the, the children in the city and, and, um, and end with Klaus uh, and same with, with Klaus. Like he, he, he's there in one place at the start of the story uh, and, and transforms it. All these transformations feel earned uh, within the story and not, um, I, I think there could be uh, particularly with like children's films. Sometimes things get oversimplified and I, I, none of these are like terribly complex. Like it, you, you're moving from selfishness to, uh, to, to goodness uh, for, for a lot of these characters, but they do enough work that it, it doesn't feel overly simplified as, as we're seeing uh, Alva transform and Klaus transform and Jesper transform. I think part of that is that each of their journey is individual, that it is the same movement, um, but they're each selfish in different ways. To start yeah. Even Klaus is selfish. Yeah. He's self-centered in, in, in that um, start. Well, he's not self-centered. He, he's uh, just or, self in, or self inward focused. looking. Yeah. Right? He's, yeah. Uh, well, he's still grieving. He's still yeah, hurt. He's, he's restricted and, to himself. And so he, he cut himself off from everybody. Yeah. And gradually, for him, gradually opening up to others again uh, brings joy. And, for, and particularly to Jesper. Yeah. For Jesper, you know, he was materialistically greedy before. Mm-hmm. And how does that change? Well, you start giving materials to other people. And then for Alba, um, she was looking out for herself. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, she wasn't about material gains. She was, I'm just going to take care of myself first and then other people. And, and, and gradually that. And, and I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, me first and then everybody else. And, the, and we see this gradual change and it's, uh, also why we're like, is it, is a gradual change. It's not that they're instantaneously better. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. is one act of kindness leads to another. And that slowly spreads. Yeah. I, I really like that. And I, I'm I, like, I'm going to refer to the montages a, mm-hmm. a bunch, but there's a sequence where like, even the motivation for the actions, like they might be doing an action. It's like, okay, that, that action is the same, but then it, motivations shift somewhat where there's the, the kids were doing a good thing to get presents. So they picked yeah. berries for someone and like, but we saw it made her happy. So we're going to do this all the time. And then they like they pick the berries and they drop it off with someone. And that person feels like, well, they're not better than me. And so she <laughs> makes some jam and gives it to those kids mom. And then that mom's like, well, she's not better than me. And so she bakes a pie and drops it off and she drops it off. And then she just hmm, and, and turns and walks away. It's yes, like spiteful kindness yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. And then it turns into a relationship mm-hmm. and becomes real kindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the, the idea of like the spiteful kindness of like whatever is motivating 
this goodness it's it's better than like the violence that was tearing apart the city <laughs> like where like the only thing that motivates people before is the battle bell <laughs> and yeah. that motivates them to come out and fight uh and uh you you are still like um john's john was saying like you can't transform overnight so some of the initial wave of goodness is going to be motivated by some of that jealousy or or uh or or desire to prove oneself to be better than someone else but that's thawing the the absolute bitterness <laughs> that is defining the townspeople uh with when jesper gets there and i find that interesting to contrast uh Klaus's idea of one act of kindness will beget another um the emphasis of that is what created the town condition of the rivalry between the two mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. where they can't even remember where it begins yeah so some act of unkindness begat another to the point where they're constantly at war now and can't remember what the original act of unkindness was yeah there's a there's a a, a cycle um that you get into where when you feel mistreated you will inherently want to mistreat them to get even right yeah. like you want to get even in some way and that works both ways um to to some degree and so when you have that perceived mistreatment even when it's not a real mistreatment perceived mistreatment will do the same thing well this person offended me they didn't mean to they weren't attacking but you can take that as a motivation to then attack them and then they will feel attacked and yeah. well that's motivating them to to attack but um yeah it, it kind of flips it around and and does the the kindness version of it. It's like, well, I, I shoveled their walkway and they didn't want to feel outdone by that. So they did something nice for me. And, and, you know, and then it, it turns into a, just a positive cycle where it builds. And, and, builds. and, and you move from this, uh, you know, uh, Gothic Tim Burton city to like kind of a warm Hallmark set. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's, it's a Christmas village. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I really, I really like oh. that thematic development that mm-hmm. it wasn't just a one act of kindness will begin another. It's well, let's explore the the spectrum of this throughout yeah, mm-hmm. with various characters and various attitudes. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess the idea that I want to think about for a minute is like the Santa mythology and how this engages with the Santa mythology. And I, I, in some ways, we've talked about like. Uh, fan service for larger stories where it's like in solo do we really need to know how han solo got a gun probably not it just feels fan servicey did some of this feel a little fan servicey for santa claus in that we're gonna get explanations for all these elements in mythology or did it all just kind of click i think for the most part for me it clicks because it's it's incorporating things well and it's doing a balance of like well, this is how it's supposed to be, or this is how it accidentally happened, or this is a skew mm-hmm. on, you know, someone misunderstanding what's going on. It's like, well, well, Mr. Klaus comes through the chimney. It's like, well, it's Jesper every time or um, how they get the flying sleigh and everything. And it's through the eyes of children, right? Children so he, are telling he walks the through the flying sleigh. That's the, that's that's the, the one <laughs> that would get me to. Yeah, that'd, that'd be the most. Yeah, most of these are uh, organic and coming out of the characters and the character needs. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesper explaining oh you have to be good to get a present because mostly so that the kids stop bullying him more than but it sets up the idea of oh he's watching all the time and then oh we're set we're moving so many presents and we need to have we can't rely on a horse we need the reindeer to do it mm-hmm. yeah because because they only have one and, horse and yeah. so they get the reindeer that's a little contrived and then the incident but, but it they, comes out of a real need yeah and then the incident where they they lose the wheels on their wagon on their on their their carriage mm-hmm. and so it looks like a, a sled and 
they and rebuilt as a sled. Yeah. And they rebuild it as a sled and, and they get into a crazy situation where they're, they jump over the town. And so a kid sees that and he's like, they're flying in a sled. Um, and so that one's probably the, the least, but because it's like through the eyes of a child, it's like, okay, well, it's not how he got a flying sled. It's and, how someone started telling the story that he had a flying sled. Yeah. And it's, and we see the reality of, no, it's not flying. Mm-hmm. They're not magic reindeer. But someone misunderstood but, it. Yeah, and, you can see how the uh, folklore starts yeah, expanding. Yeah. I like it as, as building a mythology rather than like building the story. And I think no, it does write an interesting line of saying, here are the real events that inspire the story versus the very end, which enters like the full, you know, magical aspect of it of Santa or, or Klaus fading away and be, and becoming, you know, yeah. a, 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 like literally a magical being is, well, is the implication I, that we get at the end With, without it. it being fully explored or explained. It's just like, yes, this is how the legend began, but the magic of the legend became more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to mention that, um, you know, even though we all the explanations we get are based on reality, there is an element of magic, yeah, or at least magical realism here, where there's some spirit of the forest. There's that, wind. Yeah, there's this magic wind that comes that, that, and his wife, right? That yeah, he views as his wife, and yeah, that we're supposed to get yeah, that message yeah. too. Um, and, but that's like what gets across the picture in the first place. Yeah, and that uh, has caused agreed to work with Jesper as he sees the wind swirling around Jesper mm-hmm. as he's giving this. And passion play that we know is all BS, but um, there's a, a grain in there that could be uh, grown into actual kindness. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we have this, we do have this element of uh, nature magic that is there. And I think that they handled that scene with Klaus just walking into the forest and disappearing. Mm-hmm. That was very well handled. Yeah. Of, you know, we're not going to kill the character. We're not, you know, traumatize kids. Yeah. We're not going to uh, do something. I just like, we have this subtle magic and we just acknowledge that idea is there. We want to explain it. And, and I also like the, cause it gives me kind of like a comforting notion of not dealing too heavily with like the physical presence of, of a large man coming down your <laughs> chimney and, and invading your home to leave presents. <laughs> but, but there's an, enough ambiguity as Jesper says, like I get to see my friend every year. Like, he gets to see the effect of his friend inspiring yeah. goodness, inspiring generosity, inspiring kindness, you know, and, and, and altruism. And it's like, that's what Klaus is to him is, you know, the symbol of, of altruism. And it's like, okay, I don't know if he's saying that like Klaus actually comes down the oh, chimney and I, says, I think he Klaus and, is and, coming, and and, and says it, but, but you have enough room where you can have a comfortable level where it's like yeah. the, the meaning of Christmas and Santa and generosity and altruism, as well as the like, the actual depiction of a character, you know, you get the, the simultaneous a, stuff. Almost as those films about the magic of Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I um, do like that. I mean, we've all heard like the criticisms of, of like gift giving really being commercial and uh, you know, this is all motivated by capitalism and all these other things. And this film does a good job of showing the, like the, 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 the simple purity that gift giving can be. Um, and, and stripping away a lot of those complaints about the commercial aspects of the Christmas season and saying like, you know, this is, this is all actually goodness, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, is, like this you're impulse, still giving a gift. Yeah. yeah. But this impulse is, is it, it can be born out of goodness uh, and, and kindness and, and transformative uh, amounts of goodness can come out of, uh, you know, the, the inspiration that, that it yields. Well, and I think some of the ways that they like factor that in is, because in this movie, like all the gifts are made, right? Nothing's purchased. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's all about things that are being made or tasks that are being done, right? When the kids are doing good things and that's the gift to to their parents or the adults, it's because they're shoveling the walkway or picking berries, right? They're cleaning up the laundry. And it's not because they went out and bought something to give to someone. They they gave a gift of service or attention or action. You know, it's it's not all one form. It's not that you have to buy presents and put presents under the tree. It's, hey, if you can do something that shows that you're caring about somebody, you know, that's the the thing that makes a difference. And for most of the kids, it does take the form of, of Jesper dropping off presents. But those are all things that Klaus made. It's not things that they bought. And even in, and I think this is a sequence that we have to like dissect some because it's, it's big to Jesper's transformation when he is making an effort to get a gift for Margu, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. He, he, has to, he has to make it. This little girl, and what so, is her name again? Margu. So Margu. it's this uh, little girl um, dresses differently than everyone's in these bright, bright colors, bright yeah. colors and doesn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. And so she stops by three, like three times before we get to this. She wants to send a letter for, for Mr. Klaus. Yeah. She How she heard about this in the first place. We don't know. She just showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first two times, Jesper shoes her way. Like, I don't know what you're saying. And the third time he just had this row with Klaus. Yeah. He's at his low point. And, and, and he's like, all right, come on, let me go help you and go to the teacher to try and figure out what the girl's saying. Mm-hmm. And then he's, uh, Jesper starts trying to build the sled himself because and, Klaus won't, yeah. won't talk to him. Like Klaus this is the point him. after, uh, I mean, all these characters, like we said, have, have full arcs and, Klaus, um, he, he's uh, like struggling still with the, the grief uh, that, that he feels. And mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to make new toys. He doesn't yeah. want to make new toys. He was okay giving away the toys that he already toys. made. Yeah. But, he, but he's unwilling to like go back to that headspace that he had when he was making toys for what it were to be his children that, yeah. that never came. And so this is the transitional moment for both of them where yeah. Jesper... Uh, is not motivated by I need to get the 6,000 letters to get off here. However I can, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's uh, doing good things for the wrong reasons yeah. here, he's actually doing the right thing for the right reason of trying to build the sled himself. This, this kid and, did not mail a letter. Yeah. He was there with the kid as, as she wrote the letter. And like, he, and like he had uh, shoot her off twice already. She easily could have done it again. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, let me try. And when Klaus comes and sees the effort he's putting in, um, that that Jesper is putting into yeah, trying to do wood carving, which that, Jesper is not skilled in yeah, this he, area. He cannot that, do this. <laughs> that transfer transforms something in Klaus, and they build the sled together. Mm-hmm. Like Klaus, without talking, <laughs> is going to teach Jesper. And we should say Klaus, usually not a man of many words. Yeah, very um, taciturn. Yeah, uh, but N- not not a jolly old elf yet. Yeah, particularly at this <laughs> point, he's not ready to talk to Jesper, but he can show him how to build the sled, and they'll go- do it together. Mm-hmm. And it, particularly when they go and deliver it together. I think this is the first time Klaus has really seen the joy his toys bring to a child where I think most of the, most of the time he's outside. He's not the mm-hmm. one uh, going in to deliver this time. He actually delivered, helped deliver it himself, really helped deliver himself. Mm-hmm. And he sees firsthand what this really does. Yeah. He sees some, I think on the first yeah. one and that's what keeps him going to it. And then this is the one that, so yeah, he, like, no, this is my life. Most of, yeah, most of the time he's not in the village during yeah, the day to see right. the kids playing. And he's not seeing the kids do the do the, the nice good things. Deeds. Yeah. Right. And like this is the time where he's seeing Jesper really do a good deed and like sacrifice something. Like mm-hmm. try and do something. Because Jesper's been 
doing all the stuff and it hasn't been that much of a struggle. He's kind of been begrudging all of it. And this is the moment where he sees like the Jesper cared. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just, um, you know, wanting to keep delivering the toys and getting the letters. It's no Jesper's had this transformative moment of actually caring about someone who he can't even understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of Jesper's first real relationships, yeah. you know, that he's forming and, well, with, and that with Margu. Uh, really cements the relationship with Alba, the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the nice things is they did like, obviously when you first have Jasper and Alba meet, you can tell that, Oh, this is going to be the romantic pairing, but that's not their story. Yeah, she it's... has her own journey of transformation. And it's after that, that they start their relationship. Yeah. And, and the relationship is not really a figure in, no. in, in this movie, right? No, you it's, get to a point where it's like, they are. Yeah. Like they're forming a relationship. Great. You get to the end. Okay. they they formed a relationship and you don't spend any time, like you don't watch them go on a date um, in, in any significant way. Well, you see him making some toys in the toy shop. Yeah. And, but... Well, and at some point she explains something because Jesper doesn't yeah. realize the effect that he's had on the town mm-hmm. as a whole. And she, she points that out to him. Um, That sequence with Margu, is that what you said mm-hmm. the name was? Uh, John, I know you said like the song you worry is going to age because it is a little more pop oriented when it comes on i mean it's writing a line i think between well, you know and pop like and... you, can, you can't really hear the words yes. that the way they're singing them and so yeah it's not like it's not like here's a great christmas song mm-hmm. but i was just gonna say uh it doesn't bother me because to me like that is a moment that i need to feel more often in media <laughs> <laughs> and like it all comes together in a way that just i i worry if you change the song it wouldn't hit as well because something about the song it, it 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 it's landing so perfectly. So if you change it out, do, is something lost? Uh, and, and maybe it's maybe it won't age as well. But that is one of my favorite sequences oh. of filmmaking that I can remember from the last few years. I'm not saying it's a bad song or an inappropriate song. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a good song for the moment. I just don't think it's the best song or quite hit the right chords for me. And mm-hmm. you know the. Uh, you know, this comes up where, you know, something like, um, what's the train one? Thomas the Tank. Uh, Polar Express. Polar Express. Uh, a lot of that music, some of it has become sta- Christmas standards, kind of through sheer force of will and overexposure <laughs> on someone's part of, we're going to make this a Christmas song. <laughs> um, so not Thomas the Tank Engine. No, not, no. not that one. Not the Thomas the Tank Engine Christmas episode. Which I'm sure there's more than one. Yes. No, the Polar Express musicals. Mm-hmm. Extravaganza. There's some things about that one that haven't aged well, and it's, it's mostly <laughs> yeah, animation. It's, it's not just the music that's going <laughs> to limit that one. By <laughs> much much more the animation, I think. <laughs> We're like, oh, we weren't quite there yet. I'm like, you have to do this to push the boundaries. You have to be taking these steps, or we don't get there, but we weren't there yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, Are there any other characters that, that you want to discuss? I love the idea of school teacher turned fishmonger. That is just a fabulous quick sketch of a character. Uh, okay. She's, she's become a fishmonger, but she's going to have to rediscover her love of teaching, not her love of Jesper. As John said, that, that's not her character. Mm-hmm. It's rediscovering that, that she likes kids and that she loves like her magic is teaching kids new things. Yes. Right? This isn't a Hallmark story where the guy comes in and changes the woman. Uh-huh. No, she, or, or she, the other way around. She can change on her own. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like they they change independent of each other, yeah. right? N- nobody's relationship is is fixing. Right. Well, else. Yeah. Well, I mean, they need they need each other to change. Like he he can't help Margu and have that magical moment with Klaus if she's not there, and uh, she doesn't change if he doesn't start sending the illiterate children to her. But it's not because you know their romance is is you know kindling you know sudden moral certainty inside of their souls <laughs> you know or, or whatever it is um it, it's you know just uh not even because they're motivated to help each other just by being around each other they end up helping each other uh, like he's sending the kids there for selfish reasons he, he mm-hmm. he's not sending the kids to to reunite her love of learning he's sending them so that I, these kids learn to write letters so i get my six thousand so i can get out of here yeah, and, and he's not and he's not doing it because it's like, oh, well, kids should read or they should be able to write their own names or anything like that. Like, but the kids go there with and they gain something that they weren't expecting from it. Yeah. Right. That's the other thing is like, oh, the kids, as they experience that, get something that they didn't know they were going to get. Right. Like people keep gaining things that aren't intended. Like Jesper does not intend for all this magic to happen and um and for the town to change. And the kids like don't intend for everything to to change they just want to be good so they get their their presence mm-hmm. and so there's all these like unintended positive consequences yeah um i like the two clan leaders mm-hmm. uh and how they just go at it and uh cannot get along and i just love the the recognition from the clans that okay we have to make peace so that we can fight later. Yeah. Yeah. We have to work together <laughs> yeah, to, to end this. So piece. we can. Yeah. So we can go back to how it was. Which and, and like they don't even seem to have like a significant particular animosity. Like even when they like recount all the stories it's like really it's like no they've just been fighting each other. It's not like anyone feels especially wronged. This yeah. is just the status well, yeah, quo. They, they can't remember what the original wrong was. Yeah. It was just it, oh it, we've been it, always been the, fighting. It just goes back to like a cave painting of them fighting. Yeah. Um. And so they just like they're just trying to maintain the status quo. Just a Capulet Montague or Phil <laughs> McCoy situation happening here. Yeah. Um, but one character that I also enjoy is the uh, boat captain. Oh, who does not have about. an arc. He doesn't really change throughout. He get, like he, he changes you know, like he gets a little less cynical, but but not much. Uh, you know, he serves as the narrator. Oh, yeah. He's of, kind of a Greek chorus, right? Yeah. He's just yeah, there that's, commenting that's on the action. Yeah. yeah, that's a better way to put it. The Greek course. And he works really well as a Greek course and just yeah. fulfilling that role just right. Where, I, uh, But with that modern, a little bit cynical attitude of, I'm going to come on everything, but it's going to have this bent to it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where I like it so much, I wish there was more, but also probably more would have ruined it. Oh, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. this is just the right amount. You don't need any more of him. He's just nice background filler, uh, gives that little commentary. Uh, keeps the story moving and and he has enough presence that he can deliver an important moment at the end right mm-hmm. like he's he's the one that says something to jesper's father that makes his father like contemplate something yeah. right he, he says like this is the first person i've seen who's less excited to leave town than to arrive at town yeah and and jesper's father's like oh wait well like what what is going on why is my son not happy about getting what he wanted because what he wants has changed. Mm-hmm. You can want something different over time. People can change, guys. Um, I just really like, <laughs> like, I keep thinking about it. It's like, I don't want to like talk about it too much because I'm kind of scared that something's going to get ruined if uh-huh. I think too hard. I'm like, ah, I was thinking earlier. I was like, you know, that bully kid. They never come back to him after that 
after Jesper says, like, you got to be good to to get presents. Like, I don't think that bully kid ever shows up again, like having turned a new leaf or anything like that. I'm like, that's ah, probably OK. He served his purpose. Yeah. Um, there there are a handful of kids that you see over and over again. Yeah. Uh, they're, they have their set that are recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Klaus for a moment. Um, we're talking about his grief of living his wife and that initially, you know, he wants to cut himself off because he's hurting and he doesn't, he thinks more being around people will hurt him more and gradually getting out of that. But that doesn't mean the grief has gone away. Mm-mm. It's not transformed. It's not solved. It's a complex picture of I can grieve. I can be someone who grieves and still live a life. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause ultimately like grief doesn't disappear. This is like, there's a, um, an explanation for, for like, those kinds of emotional experiences that I've seen on the internet where um, it's, it's like, there's a big circle and inside that big circle, there's a lot of smaller circles. When those smaller circles hit the edges of the circle, you feel something. And when grief is fresh, it's a really big circle Mm -hmm. inside the big circle. And so it hits the edges a lot and it's really intense. And over time it, it gets a little bit smaller and it's still going to hit the edges and it's still going to hit you. And, and you're going to feel a wave of that experience. Yeah. Um, but when you have a healthy processing experience and healthy relationships with other people, it helps to pad in the circle with, with other experiences that make the grief hit a little less often or a little less intensely. Um, or it helps expand your overall circle. So in the scheme of things, the grief is, um, is less likely to, to strike, but it still, it still hits. Right. And it's still real when it hits, you know, you can, you can lose someone and 50 years later still have experiences of grief Mm -hmm. for that loss. That's a really good analogy that I like of, uh, of all bouncing around Mm -hmm. your of your feelings. Um, because we can see with, uh, like cutting himself off. All he had was grief. Yeah, it it, and, it, it keeps that ball yeah, big. Yeah, and then it gets smaller as he lets more things in. And nothing replaces it. Even mm-hmm. when uh, all of Morgu's tribe comes into the workshop and they <laughs> fill... Become the elves. Well, they fill um, the fa- dis- family display. Yeah. It's not replacing the family they wanted. They're not replacing anything. They're saying you can also fill it. You can still this. have other yeah. relationships. Yeah, you can have other relationships without losing what you've lost that doesn't make sense did it no i, I, I know I, what you were i know what you're trying I know what you to meant, say even yeah. if the, it, the exact there's not word. exact word yeah <laughs> um and and that's one of the not the most tear-jerking moments but uh but a big one well, is that was when a, they have that a family heartwarming display. moment yeah and it's mm-hmm. like no you did build a family by doing something selfless by doing something meaningful um you know and by giving of yourself I, you I, gained I, something I, from other people bigger family than you then you could have had could have had yeah it, it's overflowing his family mm-hmm. space yes um yeah. instead of the the handful of spots that he had they have to stack it all around it's like no we're we're here for you you know they they support and you very quickly get that even though that family is not present for very long mm-hmm. they they fit into the space so well which i think is um an interesting part of it i'm like it it shouldn't work but it does you know just having them walk in and it's like no we're here now like we're we're part of this enterprise. Yeah, I I do also want to recognize like the the voice work. So Jason Schwartzman as mm-hmm. Jesper like has this. He he manages to do both like the utterly uh, more like modern sardonic uh, kind of voice work that 
that um, a lot of like early 2000s animation movies it's, were, were it's, it's the, the emperor's new groove effect right or or even like shrek you know like yeah, yeah i mean obviously that's still being played broadly but there's still like that underlying more sardonic wryness uh than um than some other movies but then he also does get to like the the real feelings in in ways that are very successful and jk simmons anytime you need a taciturn grump you should be casting jk simmons oh jk simmons has <laughs> so good has done no wrong in animation voiceovers yeah. And even Rashida Jones as, as as Alva, I think she also really does, uh, you know, a, a character that, like I said, like just in terms of amount of screen time is a little, is less served than Jesper and Klaus. This is really Jesper and Klaus's, um, you know, story more so than than Alva's. But Rashida Jones does a great job with Alva, um, and and both like the utterly exasperated and just frustrated fishmonger to like uh, the teacher that is invested in her students. Um, you know, like she's able to deliver both very well. Um, anything else about the film they want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up? I really like this movie, guys. <laughs> like, there's like I just want to say it's like, man, there's well, and then there's this thing, and there's that thing, and um, when I mean, and this is like another montage towards the end when Jesper's explaining, like, yeah, and and Klaus disappeared, and I looked all over for him, and it shows him, and this is the only the only person that we see like also has aged is he goes and, and he looks where, where Margu lives and he sees like Margu as, as a young adult. And it's like, man, like he really maintained a relationship here. Like he really built a life in this town and connected with people. And it, and it's really great to see like mm-hmm. that positive connection. And, and like, he really did like find some sort of meaning in his life, which, you know, he wouldn't have had, you know, if he had, if he had had all of the luxuries and, and the fine treatment it's like he never would have had any of these deep, meaningful relationships. And like the like there's something to be said for for sacrifice and hardship in forming relationships and, and going through something right. Almost Doing something though, that's hard and difficult. Almost as though materialism doesn't bring you happiness. It's something like that. It's like your relationships are more meaningful than your possessions. Uh, and I think it would be interesting. I've only watched this twice now. So last year at Christmas time and then for this episode that we're recording now. I think it would be really interesting to compare the opening montage with the closing montage and where Jesper is as uh, both the narrator and, and like the visuals that they give us as Jesper, where he is just, uh, you know, uh, such a a buffoonish level of (laughs) self-indulgence at at the beginning. And at the end, like he's just getting ready for his friend to come by. (laughs) Yeah. He was like tucking in his kids and, and, you know, having family time. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm sure. I mean, when when you're as as invested in making a uh, or telling a story, and making a film, like a, a, every second of the film gets gets thought of, and and those bookends, especially sh- in animation, <laughs> I'm sure those bookends were like, okay, how can we parallel and contrast? Like, you know, uh, you know, what's going to be, um, you know, our visual elements that are going to align? What's going to be uh, our, uh, you know, our voiceover elements that are going to be showing the transformation that Jesper has gone through. And I, I bet there's a lot of parallels that are, that are present that I just haven't appreciated because I haven't watched the film enough, but I feel like there'd be something there. Well, any other final thoughts before we wrap uh, up? I, I don't want to be done talking about it. Well, I've been trying to bring some fun facts. Okay. Uh, starting this up as a habit, seeing if it uh, takes. How much do you guys know about Icelandic Christmas traditions? I believe, and this may be internet lore more than reality, but my understanding is uh, Christmas Eve, people are given books and chocolate to stay up reading and indulging in. 
Um, that might be true. That's not the tradition <laughs> I'm, not I'm sure. talking about. I'm not sure if that's. I think that one's Icelandic. I think you're Sorry, right, Joseph. I should say more, not not Christmas traditions, but Christmas folklore. Oh, okay. Let's let's. I know I, that I, more than fifty percent of people in Iceland are confident that elves and fairies are actually interacting with the real world. That might play into this. <laughs> To the point where they stop construction projects based on those kinds of premises. Have you ever heard of the Yule Cat? Nope. Joseph? I feel like once upon a time you told me this, but it's left my brain. So this is going to be a surprise <laughs> for me. John. Well, if you watched the Christmas Chronicle 2s last year on Netflix, you saw the Yule Cat. Or I an interpretation not, of the Yule Cat. I did not watch nor see the Yule Cat. <laughs> uh, the Yule Cat is a huge and vicious cat who looks into the snowy countryside during Christmas time. And eats people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. So you better get something fresh. Yeah, you need. You have to get new clothes. Okay. Do you? Okay. Is the onus on a person to go get new clothes, or on you to give other people new clothes so they are not devoured? The onus is on the workers in the summer and fall to spin enough thread to make to new provide clothes, new winter clothes. clothes. So that's the real message: is you have to work hard all year, and then. If you and then you can get new clothes at Christmas Eve and protect you from the Yule Cat. Okay. Accompanying this is mm. the Yule Lads. Wait, the Yule Lads sounds familiar. See, this one I have nothing. The Yule Cat oh. sounds a little familiar to me. Are they putting people in sacks and beating them? No, that's Krampus. Oh, what's the Yule Lads? This one's really familiar. Well, there are they are thirteen mischievous pranksters who show up. Beginning 13 days before Christmas, uh, one per day, and then after Christmas, leaving one per day. So you have 26 <laughs> days of dealing with these guys. So Each this feels one. like a way for kids who don't want to be on the naughty list to get one bad act out a day <laughs> well, and blame it on the, the Yule lads. <laughs> there's a little of that. There's also a little messages about um, food uh outstored and making sure you eat all your food and that it doesn't go to waste in Iceland where you might not have a big harvest. Right. I don't know how much farmable land they have. Yeah. Yeah. So um there are 13 of them and I've heard I heard from Q or from No Such Thing as a Fish that at oh, various yeah, times there have Hold on, more- John. Some of our listeners are not going to know no such thing as a fish. So <laughs> that was, a podcast, was right? bewildering for a percentage of our audience. I don't know what percentage. <laughs> All right. So this is a podcast. Uh, there's a show in Britain called QI where they talk about obscure facts. These are the people who find the obscure facts. And each week they come on and present. What Some fact, facts. Yeah. A f- obscure fact they learned that week and they discuss it. Uh, and so they did discuss it once. And I believe they said that there had been more Yule Lads. But at a certain point, the government stepped in and said, this is getting out of hand. There are 13. <laughs> and they're English translations of their names. You have Sheep Coat Claude, who harasses sheep. Gully Gawk, who hides in gullies and waits for opportunity to go into the cow shed and steal milk. Stubby, who steals pans to eat the crust left on them. Again, you know, why does it sound like significant mischief? Uh, well, it's avoiding food waste. I, yeah, I, I, I guess with the food waste in mind. And you don't want a, a, a pan stolen. That could, that could be a real... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That one's bad. Spoon liquor. Guess what he does. <laughs> I, I think I've got I, I, I think I got that one. He steals and licks wooden spoons. 
Oh, only wooden no, spoons. Yes, I wooden thought it was spoon. any spoon. No, wooden spoons. I, I can't handle this wooden spoons. Is, like these my... are older traditions <laughs> coming Emily from has to before. Buy wooden spoons for our kitchen that have the silicone cover, or like that's what we have to have. Because if I touch just a plain wooden spoon, I get goosebumps everywhere. Like I can't handle <laughs> wooden cooking utensils. Uh, pot scraper steals leftovers from pots. Okay. Bowl liquor. This is getting less creative. Well, this yeah. is one's this one's a little weird because he hides in the beds. Waiting some, for someone to put down um, their asker, which is a type of bowl, mm-hmm. uh, which he then steals. Okay. Door slammer. <laughs> Less involved with the food waste. Nope. Yep. Uh, just but you just keeping you up at night. <laughs> uh, skier gobbler. I got nothing on that one. Well, I, I don't know what a skier is that he might skier, be gobbling. Skier is a type of yogurt. Okay. Sausage swiper. Okay. Self-explanatory. Um, I, feel, I feel confident on that one. Window yeah. peeper. He is peeping to, for, to look for things to steal. Right. Okay. Doorway sniffer. <laughs> that might be the worst kind of mischief I've ever heard uh, of. He is uh, using his large nose to sniff out leaf bread. A type of bread they have. Okay. Why door, he's sniffing doorways to do this, I don't know. Meat hook. Uses a hook to steal meat. Mm-hmm. And candle stealer steals candles. Yep. <laughs> yep. He's probably not. He probably doesn't have too much business in the last hundred years or so. I don't know. You know, some people are traditional. Maybe they have candles out during yeah. Christmas and they get stolen. But those are the Yule lads, and uh, there is their mother, who I probably shouldn't try and pronounce. Uh, because it's Icelandic. Right. Um, you don't have the English translation on that one. No. Uh, she's a giantess with an appetite for the flesh of mischievous children. Oh, my. So, yeah. A couple of dark turns in there. Some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, final note before we wrap up. Uh, I was just uh, caught out of the corner of my eye as I was closing some tabs to make sure I wasn't, you know, having too much stuff going on. Uh, a link in the Wikipedia article about Klaus to an interview with Sergio uh, Pablos talking about his hand-drawn project Klaus. And, like, they make a big deal that this is not a typo. It is a hand-drawn film. And, you, okay. they, like, at the beginning it says, you could be forgiven for thinking the character animation was modeled and animated with CGI, but Klaus is... Uh, it says it has the organic charm of hand-drawn animation uh, throughout when you watch closely. So. Well, it does have the charm of it. Yeah. There are definitely some I, moments that are not, ha- yeah. or are certainly enhanced by computers. I won't mm-hmm. say it's not all hand-drawn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I haven't read the whole interview, but this they, is from there's cartoon. clear Brew. emphasis and yeah, clarity on, on it. Hand-drawn, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we, we had that discussion at the beginning. Just wanted to offer that at the end. Um, and that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at his minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long.
your input. Input. Okay. I'm on input. this. Input. Input volume. Turn it the down some. Um, not that much. 